and thank you for joining us today. My name is Erica Kramer, Senior Living Engagement Advisor at Martin Brothers. We're glad to be spending time with you again today because we all know the time you invest in self-development not only increases the trajectory of your success, but the success of those you lead as well. While we are going to be discussing leadership and teamwork and how these play into setting up systems for success, we will also be talking about something that is near and dear to Martin Brothers and that we really don't talk about much on this podcast, and that's food along with menus. So a discussion on all these topics naturally led us to inviting one of our longtime partners, friend, and expert in the industry, Kathleen Nieder, as well as my own teammate, Mary Sell. A little professional background on them. Kathleen was, has more acronyms in her title than I can verbalize and is a System Quality Assurance Officer for Western Home Communities. But just so you know, she rendezvous with a couple other responsibilities outside of her day job as well. Mary Sell is our Menu Services Manager, and she has been with Martin Brothers for 25 years. She looks real young, so you would have thought she started at our cash and carry with a work permit if she had that many years in already. Okay, to anyone new listening, I always like to kick off our podcast with an icebreaker. I feel like all three of us work hard and play hard, so I want to know what your favorite vacation spot is. Well, I don't really have anything as interesting as you two. Mine's pretty boring. I guess uh, I really liked going to St. Lucia. Um, It was just a really beautiful island, and I love the people that were there. So that would be my pick. And I love Boston. I loved the history too. So two, um, two places that I really loved. Oh, I have so many, but I think in, in, uh, the United States, it'd have to be Orlando. That's a good Orlando one. or Phoenix. Both of those pretty much tie. I've never been to Arizona. I think that's a place I need to Head to sometime, but you've been. Have you been to Ireland? Yes, I was thinking only in the United States. No, I let you go anywhere. <laughs> oh well, I'd probably go to. Yeah, I'd go to Ireland, but Paris is fun. Oh, I've been to Paris, been and Rome is. If you're you're into religion, Rome is also absolutely beautiful, and the Mediterranean there is so blue. Mm. If you go up the coast, okay. All right. My nice. husband is going to be going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> I've already have birthdays coming up soon, so he needs to start planning now. Mary? Pick a spot. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking about all my favorite travel spots in the U.S. I haven't been outside of the U.S. quite as much as you, Kathleen, but I love to go anywhere right now that I can hike a lot and hike with my family, and I have to go somewhere warm, so... That led me to one of my favorite spots, Death Valley in Southern California. Um, The landscape there is just like another world. You feel like you're walking on a different planet in some of the the landscapes there. Um, And there's really high vistas on snow-capped mountains that look down on like salt flats that are the lowest spot in the northern hemisphere. Um, and then it's kind of an unplugged area, so at night you don't get any light interference at all, so you can see um, the full Milky Way and all the constellations. It's just a really peaceful, nice, warm place to hike. 
Okay, to start our conversation on setting up systems for success and how our team plays a big role in that, we should probably be transparent and share that Kathleen was tasked with doing just this, implementing a menu program that didn't compromise quality or resident satisfaction in all 15 communities under Western Home Communities. So that's why you would understand why being a team and having a really good team in place is going to help with this responsibility. So Kathleen, how did you go through the process of bringing in multiple locations under one program, considering that you had different levels of care, um, that you had different building types, and you had different personalities leading each of these communities? Well, Erica, as we all know, it's a different time, and, and it has been for all of us. You know, all of us that certainly have managed to stay in our jobs the last two years. So to survive, uh, we've had to make so many compromises. We've had to think outside the box. And I laugh sometimes because uh, even my staff say, I don't think you believe in boxes. And so I, I often say, yeah, I think you're right. So we've relied on on the fact that we have to develop strong processes that can withstand supply chain issues and the staffing challenges. And then we also have to balance food and labor costs. So I think sometimes we just don't give people the credit they deserve because, believe it or not, our residents and our employees understood why things had to change and the changes that we had to make. And that made it much easier in all of our facilities to buy into this Plus, I think they saw the advantages of a system uh, that maybe they hadn't had in place prior. So you had a couple of menu cycles under your belt, and then 2020 comes. And we deal with a worldwide pandemic, and you had to deal with staff being out sick or not showing up because they're scared. But no matter what, we still have to feed our residents. So walk us through the first time you had to implement an emergency menu and compare that to how it looks uh, now when you have to um, use that emergency menu and implement it again. Oh, so true. <laughs> so it was actually in March of 2020. Uh, one of our small facilities that we were managing and that was one of our most distant outliers had a massive outbreak. It, it took out well over 50% of their entire staff in less than a week. And I'm sure many of our listeners have had this very same uh, scenario happen to them. You know, we, we knew we couldn't help them with staff as we were struggling in all of our facilities, like most of us on this podcast. This was a, a time before the vaccine, and no one was confident with how the vaccine was spreading. Um, unfortunately, they ended up with only one dining services member left within a 48-hour wow. uh, hmm. yeah, time frame. Oh, wow. It was crazy. So I'd been talking with the Martin Brothers team in the days previous as I was already getting a bit concerned that this might happen and how could we make sure our residents had meals and snacks. So the solution was to have as many prepared items as possible that if necessary, the business office staff or even maintenance could pop in the oven for us. 
Um, you know, like I said, it had to include food for all meals and snack periods. Mm-hmm. So I worked with the Martin Brothers team, and I included those reps that service our accounts to identify foods that were available at the time and uh, that the residents uh, had liked in the past that were on their order guide that we knew had been fairly well acceptable. Uh, So we developed a three-week, what we called the limited selection menu. It worked for regular diets and mechanically altered diets, including the purees. Menus had the Martin Brother order number to the right of the item, right on the week at a glance, and then we provided them with recipes for the few simple items that still needed to be prepared. And then Mary was gracious enough to also work on grocery lists for each week that allowed anyone to be able to help with that task. So if there wasn't a dining services person, the administrator might have to do the order. The business office person might have to do the order. I know in one situation, we had the activities director who was helping uh, develop our order for that, that week. So I'd like to tell you that We haven't had to use it again, but in the past month with the recent surges in cases, we once again put the limited menu in place in many of our facilities. Um, I can tell you that Mary was extremely helpful once again as there were some supply chain issues, so a few items that had to be tweaked on those menus. But this has worked out well in in all of our facilities, our independent living, our, our assisted living, and our nursing facilities. So... I think one of the outcomes of utilizing this limited menu is that we once again realized we don't need to have those therapeutic diets in this population. They do just fine with a regular diet and then with the texture modified as needed. So now with the meats that are specific for the IDC-5 and IDC-6 and then the molded items, we can certainly more easily serve the correct texture even with staff that have limited knowledge of preparation techniques. So our maintenance guys, our activity people, our business office. It's been very helpful. During these challenging times, you know, it's hard enough getting what's listed on our menu to our residents. How do we still honor choices and still follow therapeutic diets during these challenging times? Well, I think most of the people probably on this podcast know that I authored one of the revisions of the Academy's position paper on liberalizing diets in those in long-term care. So I think most of you know my philosophy on this. No one wants to be in a nursing home, and no one certainly wants to be on a diet. And we also need to remember that, (laughs) you know, I think that's true. Who wants to be on a diet? Especially when we get to nursing home, give me that cake. That's exactly right. (laughs) You know, as I tell people, a calorie is a calorie. If that's the only thing they're going to eat is a Milky Way candy bar and a a Coke, go for it. You know, they didn't get to be 95 uh, following a a low uh, cholesterol, low salt diet in their life. Amen. So, you know, I think part of it is that a lot of us, including our administrators, forget that nutrition is the heart of health care. And when residents eat what they want, we see less weight loss. We see less potential for skin breakdown, less falls because they are stronger. They're eating what they want and they keep that lean body mass there. And certainly less confusion caused from nutrient deficiencies when they don't want to eat what we're 
preparing for them and they would eat that candy bar, well, give them a vitamin and let them eat what they want. You know, restrictions that we would use in the well elderly are just, they're just not appropriate in those residing in our homes. So as far as choices, I know you asked me about that. We made sure we had some favorites and some comfort foods available. So single service items, um, eggs, hamburgers, sandwiches come already done. All you got to do is, is microwave them. The single service soups like tomato and chicken noodle soup that we've had uh, in the past, I know there's been some supply chain issues on, on those, and I know that Martin Brothers is working on that. Certainly mashed potatoes and gravy, and you can utilize those ready-to-serve potatoes and, and the bottled or canned gravy. There's some really good ones on the market right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite as good as homemade, but boy, certainly darn close. So you know your residents and what they ask for when they don't like what's on your menu. So just make sure you're keeping some of those items available for the residents. And I think you'll, you'll have happier residents. Everybody's probably doing the soup. Everybody's doing the grilled cheese sandwich, maybe the, the fried or scrambled egg, cereal and milk, you know, popcorn and milk. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that our population will eat when they won't eat anything else. You have to identify that. And they're usually really simple things. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. they're not going to ask you for a filet mignon. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too bad if they do, maybe. Yes. <laughs> so. At the time of this recording, it is February of 2022. And unfortunately, We are still in the thick of supply chain challenges. Thank you, COVID. So how has having a menu and a system or or an actual program in place helped with the current supply chain issue? Well, from my perspective, the Martin Brother reps have been on top of this. And I think all of us are thankful for that. I know I'm getting sent a supply chain information sheet almost Mm -hmm. every week. And so we are being being able to make those substitutions with products as appropriate. I think that your ordering guide and your ordering system also helps us make those substitutions during the order process. So we're going to know right away what is not available and when it might be coming in or if it's it's a long-term outage. So as we start to revise our spring and summer menu, I know Mary and the team are making suggestions already, knowing what might happen. But, you know, it's anyone's best guess with supply chain issues and the weather issues and then the virus itself. Mm-hmm. It's going to be extremely difficult mm-hmm. for and, – and we have to be patient. Yes. We have to show grace. Um we have to be shown grace, and we have to show our suppliers some grace during these times. Mary, what part of our menu program and system has been helping customers with the supply chain issue as well? Yeah, well, I can't emphasize enough how helpful it is to have your menu built into a menu program that's integrated with your order entry program. As Kathleen was saying, it's really a huge advantage right now with everything that's going on with our supply chain challenges. Um, With our order entry and menu system integration, you can see lots of helpful information on your screen as you're placing your food orders, as as Kathleen was saying. Um, For instance, 
items that are used on your menu are noted with a flag on the order entry screen. Mm-hmm. How many case of, cases of the product that are in stock is shown and information from the manufacturers are available about why an item might be out of stock and what items would be subbed for an item that's out of stock. There's much more robust information available now as you place your orders that helps you make real-time and live decisions when an item isn't in stock. Um, We're also showing you items that you may consider purchasing when an item is out of stock, so a lot lot more robust information. Also, I want to mention when you use a menu program, you can quantify the recipes to the census that you're cooking for so you know exactly how much of the items that you need to purchase for your census, which is really important in these um, strange times where different A different person might be placing the order. The dietary manager might be gone and the administrator might be placing the food order. Now, if your staff has always made soups from scratch and there's a supply chain issue um, or a staffing issue, we'll say, um, and all of a sudden you want to switch to buying frozen soups because they take less labor to make. How much soup, how many pounds of frozen soup do you need to purchase to cook for 84 people? If you're using a menu program, you can just instantly see how many cases of product of frozen soup you might need to purchase. Or vice versa, if you're always um, purchasing frozen soups and all of a sudden there's a supply chain issue, you can't get the frozen soup and your staff's going to make the soup from scratch. How do they know how much of each ingredient to purchase if they're not using a menu program with built quantified recipes tied to ingredients? So I can't emphasize enough how helpful it is to have a menu integrated with your order entry program. Well, I'd like to add that, you know, we aren't immune to them, these issues, but I am biased that we've done a heck of a job during it. Is there anything about our program that has helped us continue to service our customers? Yeah, definitely just having your menu developed in Empower Menus helps Martin Brothers forecast Mm -hmm. how much of each product to purchase. Um, When your menus are built using the menu system, we can, you know, see how many customers are using a certain menu which uses certain items. We can see when menus start and end and what range of dates that our customers will be purchasing those certain items. Uh, We build our ordering cycles from manufacturers with that forecasted use, which is so much easier for us to predict when we have planned menus that are in a a menu program. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Kathleen, we all know that in senior living, We definitely need all hands on deck, but it's not uncommon to see silos in all organizations, but especially in senior living. What are you doing to incorporate the team as part of the process you have in place? Well, Erica, if COVID taught us anything is that we all must work together to get the job done. And Mm -hmm. and that job is good care to our residents. Mm -hmm. During these last two years, department lines have been blurred, I think, many times. You know, we've had maintenance help in the dining rooms. They've cleaned tables. They've set tables. They've poured drinks. So have the chaplains, the business office staff. Mm -hmm. And and I don't want to forget those in environmental services and those in activities or leisure services. You know, everybody has, has pitched in. You know, therapy staff. We're often asked to help get residents up for breakfast or help put residents to bed at night. Many of our employees were asked to take the paid feeding assistant course or the temporary nursing assistant course. Honestly, it's truly 
been an all-hands-on-deck approach during the worst of times. And, you know, I'm not telling you that everything is rosy because it's not. But what I am saying is that the lines are much more blurred than they were previously. And I, I hope that that never goes away now. I think as all of us, we, we have stand-up morning meetings and um, most and not all of our buildings, but the rounding by the administrator in the mornings and before they he or she goes home at night, those are so important. Um, I know when I was an administrator and have been several times and, and, uh, and now even in my position as a systems uh, officer, the first thing I do when I go into a facility is make rounds, see how everybody is doing, ask them how they're doing. Just take a look at what's going on in that facility and ask questions. Smile and say good morning to everyone or go at night in the afternoon before you go home. Make rounds again. See if everything is okay. My husband used to call me when I was at one of our facilities as the administrator, and he would call me. Maybe it'd be 6 o'clock, and he goes, what time are you coming home for supper? And I'd say, well, I've got to go make rounds, and just let me call you when I get in the car. Because some nights it would be a quick 15, 20-minute round to see all my floors and see everybody. The next night it might be, we, we don't have anybody to take people back to their rooms we need linen laid out. We didn't get waters passed yet. Those were things that I could do, and I stayed and did those things. Mm -hmm. It just makes a world of difference for your team, a world of difference. If they see you as a department di director or as the administrator getting out and helping with some of those jobs. It's much easier then as the administrator to go and say, could you please stay until, uh, you know, maybe midnight or mm -hmm. 2 a.m.? Uh, we don't have a person coming mm -hmm. in. And so I, I did get the 6 o'clock person to come in at 2 a.m. Can you please stay? You know, when they've seen you out and about and that you're being part of their team, it's lots easier to ask favors. Mary, we definitely need a team on our end to make our systems work as well and to take care of our customers. Who on our team helps with uh, making sure our customers succeed? Yeah, we definitely have an all-hands-on-deck approach to make, to make sure you get your food orders from Martin Brothers. Uh, many of our senior living customers will place their orders with a sales rep or a key account manager. And these sales staff, along with our dietitian team, are constantly watching the supply status on your menued items and communicating with our purchasing department. So our, our purchasing department is another key piece to making sure our, our team is getting your orders to you. Um, we watch ahead to look for upcoming supply chain problems and try to communicate with our customers to help you adjust menus as needed. You're not just going to be left with your sales rep trying to figure out what to do about an out or your dietitian just making a swap out on the menu. We're all kind of communicating on our end to find solutions for you as well. Um, our chefs are also pretty integral in helping our customers find different products or different ways they could fill a gap when we have product outages. Not just having a team, we definitely need buy-in from everyone, especially at the top. How do you get leadership buy-in from administrators and DONs to make this team concept work, Kathleen? So, well, part of it, I think, is just being a team. Yes. And in all of our facilities, or at least most of them, we've initiated what we call morning stand-up. 
And so this is a time to discuss staffing issues for that day. Call-ins, positions not filled, um, who's going to be off for five to 10 days or 14 or longer, and who can help in what areas to make sure that those crucial care expectations can get met. So, you know, think about it. Who can pass waters? Who could lay out linen? Who can help set tables? Who could get residents to the dining room? You know, this helps plan everyone's day because if we're going to ask the maintenance guy to do something or the environmental services people or activities, uh, you know, if nursing needs help, is there some way that one of the dining services people can go out, even if it's only 15 or 20 minutes to get those waters passed? or in the afternoon to get the linens out for the, the evening baths. You know, what can everybody do? So like I said, it helps to plan everyone's day. It also is great communication. What happened in the last 72 hours or even less time than that? Maybe it's just 24 hours. You know, it's 72 on the weekends because we, we hold small huddles and stand-ups on the weekends, but not as elaborate. So what happened with a resident. Did did someone fall? Did we send them out to the hospital? You know, in dining services, lots of times, if we don't have these, we don't find out for three or four days that someone's not in our building and we keep feeding them. So, you know, and those are things that are universal. You know, I they happened 20 years ago. They're still happening now. I think they're better. But, you know, Also, you can look at residents that are not eating or drinking, and we can bring that from the dining services perspective to that meeting because maybe a CNA needs to spend a little bit more time or one of those paid nutrition feeding assistants, they can spend that extra time. So I think it just helps, you know, what what can be done immediately to to remedy any of these issues. Mm -hmm. And then also, who has appointments, who might have transportation needs that day? What was the PPD yesterday, and is it right on budget? So did we have overstaffing? Did we have understaffing? You know, there are numerous items that can be included and specific to your facility, but that's just a few of them. But I, I really do think morning rounds are very, very, very important. The other issue is I we also have in, instituted... Uh, afternoon with just the DON and uh, the administrator just to touch base on is there anything that's risen to a DIA level and they can talk through that and any issues that really need done completed Mm -hmm. uh, attention spent yet before anybody goes home so those are usually about 3 30 depends on what's going on but usually dining services don and uh, administrator will meet with just five ten minutes set the timer (laughs) set the timer that's what we always everybody says i don't have time well Mm -hmm. trust me we've got time and if you get that 10 minutes in it really does help with communication. It helps with that building of, of uh, your team. Your team, yeah, yeah, well, and it and a sense of the team is not departments. Yes. Okay. Yes. The team is not departments. 
You know, we've been talking with experts in senior living for our 2022 workforce transformation, and a common theme we keep hearing uh, that successful dining leaders have is that they advocate for their team. So how did you become an advocate for your team and your department? Well, you know, as I tell people, I grew up in a nursing home. I started working in a nursing home when I was 16. So I've been an aide. I've been a cook. I've been the kitchen manager. I've been a supervisor. I've been the dietitian. I've been the director. Um, Then I became an administrator and now a systems officer. So I certainly understand when a team member comes with a concern. And so I strongly believe that to be an advocate for your team, you first must be confident in your knowledge. You have to be confident in yourself. You have to be confident in your vision and how you plan on giving our residents the best care through your team. And sometimes, you know, and I'll, I'll tell a story about 2008 with um, the flood at Western Home. We had tremendous flooding, and we did everything in our power to sandbag. We had sandbagged almost 24 hours around the clock for about two days, trying to save uh, us from having to move any of the residents. And unfortunately, National Guard came and said, you have to leave. And so I went up to the department. I had been sandbagging. I washed off real quickly, changed clothes into cleaner, um, more sanitary clothing. And I went into the kitchen and I said, this is what we've got to do. All right. We're going to have to do this. Well, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Everybody is, is coming to me. And finally, I just said, guys, I need five minutes. And I went back to my office. I sat down. I'm thinking through all of the pieces of the puzzle And all of a sudden, the pieces all clicked in my mind. And I went back into the department and I said, these are the things we have to do. This group's going to do this. This group's going to do that. This group's going to do something else. But I needed that five minutes to me Mm -hmm. to become the leader that I knew I needed to be at that time. But I knew if I stayed in the kitchen and everybody was on me how we were going to do it, I couldn't really think through the process. And it had to be a process. There had to be some systematic uh, maneuvers that we had to make that day. And so, you know, I had the vision. I had to be confident in, in how my plan was going to go. And it was. It worked beautifully by the, you know, by the grace of God. <laughs> but we, we ended up moving all the food out to one of our other facilities on what we called South Campus at the time. And we were able to take care of 213 extra people in that kitchen, in that building, and it worked smoothly. And we were out of the building for several days before we could move back in. But I think that that show of confidence, it shows you're advocating for them, and they get the, the strong feeling that you are their, their advocate, their, their, your, their support system. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, also, uh, besides taking a breath, you have to sell your department to the administration. Mm-hmm. All right. You, you have to. So 
What I always tell people when they're telling me that uh, they're not being respected as much as they they maybe feel they should be, go to that administrator. Remind that administrator that nutrition is the heart of health care. And without good nutrition, it's going to require more nursing staff mm-hmm. because our residents will have issues. Again, those skin issues, they'll have weight loss, they'll have falls, they'll mm-hmm. have in- increased incontinence from dehydration. That all requires more nursing time. And as we all know, um, CNAs and nurses right now are difficult to come by. So what can you do from the dining services perspective to keep those residents healthy? And you are part of the team, a very integral part of that team. And you just have to sell that. Okay. You advocate and your team's respected. You've got buy-in from other department heads. Does that mean changing your job responsibilities or blurring the lines of roles at all? Oh, Erica, I think it means blurring some of the lines. Uh, Roles are going to be changing. I think we're already seeing that as uh, many dining services people are also taking over the environmental areas of our nursing homes. Mm So I think that you're going to see a blurring of the lines. You know, once everyone realizes that we are a family, now a family that includes our residents and each other, then I think we'll have uh, more versatile positions. And those versatile positions will enhance both productivity and certainly job satisfaction for staff. You know, we, we have to start preaching team. We have to start preaching team. Team members who are committed to the idea that residents will be best served when their care is coordinated and provided by team members. And those team members have to challenge each other. They have to learn from each other. We have to trust and rely on each other. And I'm not sure how we do that, but I think that, you know, when there's no longer departments but an employee family that cares for the resident family, we are going to give the best care then. So, you know, this is a challenge we must all work towards, you know, where CNAs maybe are doing laundry or helping with cleaning or where dining services does food-related activities with residents or takes time to take a resident back to their room. And maybe where maintenance sits down and does morning coffee as part of their day with the gentleman there and they, they have a great uh, conversation. You know, it's an entirely new genre, but yields so much happier residents and really, truly satisfied workers. And that starts at the top. The administrator has to start that. But if they don't, then, you know, take charge. Yep. Take charge. Every department head on this podcast, take charge. See what you can do. Come up with some great ideas for your facility and run with them. Yep. Be the first to help someone else. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, what's your advice to getting started on this new way of life? How do we break down the silos that have traditionally been established in senior living?
Well, I think understanding how important training is up front. You know, what happens is, you know, as the saying goes, we eat our young. <laughs> so, you know, we do. Exactly. And, and the reason being is that uh, we get a new employee and the first thing we do is put them on the floor and expect them to know who everybody is, uh, how the process works. You should, should be able to cook and find everything the first day you're there. And, well, maybe we might give you a couple of days. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Maybe if you're lucky, because we're all so stressed out because we have no staff that we think we can just throw them in in, in a couple of days and they're going to stay with us. This is a changing environment. People need to, to be onboarded. So we're starting a new onboarding process at Western Home. And we are really stressing team and the family and home-like atmosphere. And this is not a one-day. It's not a two-day. This training, honestly, can be a two-week training period. And everybody says, oh, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. Well, do you have time for the, the, you know, revolving door? (laughs) You don't not have time for that. Yeah, so you don't. Yeah, it's like you you must have time to onboard these these people. So our first programs are going to be directed towards CNAs. And so they will have the training. Um, and, and we hope then to work on training our ancillary departments and ancillary staff as we push out our onboarding process. So not only um, will they understand their own job expectation, but they will be given approximately four hours of nutrition and dining services training. Ah, Unbelievable. So different. And that way they could step in when dining services staff need some help. So our training is going to include the importance of proper nutrition and assisting the resident with dining. We'll have food safety and sanitation. We'll have, and, and I think the, the dining Uh, CDMs will enjoy this, the importance of accurate intake records, (laughs) you know, and and also how to obtain accurate weights and heights, which we all seem to to worry about. And, you know, one week they weigh 160 pounds and the next week they weigh 203 because that wheelchair didn't get subtracted off. And the next week maybe they weigh 165 and, you know, it's just because they got a different cushion or whatever. (laughs) So, you know. We want them to understand uh, heights and weights a bit better. We're going to talk about uh, facility diets. I think some CNAs come in, and nurses specifically, come in with the idea that we've got to have therapeutic diets or this person is going to do lots worse when they're probably only eating a 2-gram sodium diet anyway, even if they're only eating 50%. So I think that... You know, we'll talk to them uh, about how to u- utilize the emergency menus, the limited yep. menus, how to do mealtime cleanup. Um, you know, our sanitizing and disinfecting process has changed with COVID. Uh, how to use the dishwasher, yep. mm-hmm. you know, obtaining those food temps and dishwasher temps. And I don't know um, if all your clients know about uh, Fresh Check. But we switched from paper logs to fresh check as part of our quality control uh, for many of those temperature logs. And, and so our CNAs will be trained on that as well. So it, it's going to be a, a process. Uh, I've developed the, the 
four-hour training on nutrition. So that's, that's set. But we have checkpoints then. So we go back and say, okay, here's the training we gave you, and are you competent in that training? Because mm-hmm. as we all know, competencies right now are very important. Is that person competent to puree the diet, to grind the diet? Is that person competent to even do table sanitation? Mm-hmm. Or do they take the shortcuts? <laughs> yes. Yep. So those are the things that we are going to utilize with uh, this onboarding program. And we started out with CNAs. We plan on doing with our nursing staff and going on to even our maintenance staff so that everyone is trained in a lot more areas than they've ever been trained in before. So we get that team approach uh, that, and it's team building because they'll be in a lot of the courses together. Mary, if organizations are starting to train CNAs uh, and they're starting to embrace this concept of um, getting all hands on deck trained and, and ready to go on that team aspect, any Martin Brother resources you would suggest to help with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Martin Brothers has developed some resources similar to what Kathleen was just speaking about that would be great assets to help build skills for CNAs or any staff that want to cross-train to help with your dining program. Um, On Martin Brothers' website, we have a free education series available called Jumpstart, which includes training videos and those competency exams that Kathleen was talking about. Um, Just for some examples, we have um, three levels of training. Level one training resources would be used to train those staff doing entry-level jobs for food service to help them gain a basic level of food service operations, including regulatory compliance. Um, For instance, you could learn more about food safety basics, cleaning and sanitizing, basic information about modified diets and customer service. So very similar to what Kathleen was just talking about. Um, And then this Jumpstart program has several levels available for more advanced topics. Um, Next up for the cooks and lead dietary staff. And finally, a top level of training materials for managers and directors that will inspire hopefully more leadership. Um, And I want to mention, in addition to this Jumpstart training series, we've also been focusing on providing conversation topics for those daily huddles that Kathleen was mentioning earlier. So um, just some ideas for, for these quick little conversations you can have with those staff that are cross-training with nutrition services. Quick conversations you can have at the beginning of a shift or even at the beginning of a meal service. Just those intentional conversations is another great way to train by just focusing on one small topic at a time, one small topic each day for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, some conversation starters might be, how do you stay motivated at work? Or what are some back care tips so you don't hurt your back? Or hand washing, just a review of hand washing. Or what is the mission of our organization? So just um, just a daily huddle, as Kathleen was saying, with a brief topic for those people that are coming to help in nutrition services before you serve a meal can be really helpful as well. I am aware we aren't ever going to the way things were and that there will be a new normal. That being said, will this change as we go from pandemic to endemic? Well, like you said, Erica, 
we're going to need to develop a new normal. I, I firmly believe it's going to be at least a year or two before production is back to pre-pandemic levels. And who knows about supply chain issues, but that will probably be, I, I would venture to guess, at least another year. You know, labor shortages are not going away anytime soon because people have adjusted to living with less money. And many people that had jobs prior to COVID will not go back into the workforce, especially those that were retired and working part-time jobs. You know, they, they've learned to live on their fixed income. Menus and service will need to adapt. The, the reason the team is so important, we are only going to have to do more with less and people are only going to work so hard. So we've got to adjust and we've got to develop that new, new normal, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah. Well, one thing that has changed is uh, with labor shortages. We've changed our mindset on convenience items. So how can dining managers explain to their management team that the cost of convenience items are worth the investment? Well, it's a balancing act, to say the least. When you do have trained labor, then you must make as much from scratch as possible. When you don't have trained labor, then you're going to need to resort to convenience items to maintain quality product. So a a good example is lasagna. You just can't ask a person that doesn't understand pasta cookery to make a quality product. (laughs) You know, you just can't. Crunchy lasagna. (laughs) Or worse yet, you know, (laughs) they overcook it. So I'm not sure which is, I almost think I'd rather have crunchy than than that mushy. Yes, soupy. You can't even tell it's got pasta in it. It was so bad. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, but, you know, there are lots of great frozen items on hand. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's super duper excellent frozen lasagna items. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've used those for years when I've had times when my cooks were not as well trained as I wanted them to at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we might have gone to a, a frozen lasagna. And then as you know, I had the chefs from Martins come and help and help develop those cook cooking skills. And when they were ready to do it, most of the cooks would come and say, you know, I make a heck of a lasagna now. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think we have to buy that frozen product anymore. And, and we wouldn't. So I always look at the skill level. Can we improve the skill level? But if we can't, then what's our best alternative? You know, I think in this day and age, you're going to have to keep some frozen items on hand for those days when cooks call in or are just not available or they don't have the skill set that you need. So what you need to do then is remind the administrator that the cost of the entree, you know, is going to be up, but it should be offset by the lack of labor. Because if you had to call somebody in and pay time and a half for a cook, uh, you can probably offset that labor by maybe one of the dining services aides just popping that tray into the oven for you. So, and then it's if you could find another cook to come in anyway, which, <laughs> as we know, um, is an ultimate problem for all mm-hmm. of us. People are cherishing those days off because most of our staff has been working way more than their scheduled hours. 
So the budget is another system that you may need to better understand and look at differently. And how can managers who didn't go to school from accounting, I know that was the least favorite part of my schooling, um, increase their ability to understand and manipulate the budget? Well, I, I'm old school. I mean, I still balance my checkbook. You know, mm -hmm. when I get the statement, the online statement, I still Make go sure. in and balance my checkbook. I'm not one of those to the penny people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know we all know people that is they spend hours balancing oh, their checkbook yeah, <laughs> down to the penny. Mayor. You know, I, I'm not one of those. And especially if it's to my advantage, it's like, OK, there's just another, you know, twenty five dollars in my checkbook that, you know, I'll keep in the back burner in case I need something that I don't really need but I want I can yeah. think oh I got as long that. as it's extra and you're yeah, not in I've the hole yeah I got that extra $25 yeah if it's in the hole I uh, I kind of squelch that you blame that. it on Bill yeah I Bill. can yeah I can do what'd that what'd you do yeah what'd I do for my husband yeah my husband I'll you let him but <laughs> I like to use a spreadsheet kind of like your checkbook yeah. all right so I start out then with the budgeted amount for food and supplies as my beginning balance, which is always a lot more money than in my checkbook, trust <laughs> me, you know. But, you know, as you spend money over the month and those invoices come in, then those invoice totals are taken off just like I said, just like you do in your own checkbook. So, you know, you have to remember, though, that that uh, that total number, that big, big uh, $1,000 number or whatever it is, it's based on a determined census that the administrator thought you were going to have and the daily food cost, the PPD, that, that you've been allotted. So obviously, should the census be lower than the, the, the base census, then you need to lower the amount or vice versa. You know, then I, the other thing I try to do, because we usually order every week, was I tried to divide the entire budget by four so that that gave me my estimated weekly spending budget. And that worked out well. If I, I knew my census, if I know my PPD, then, you know, I can take that true census number, determine what I was supposed to spend, and then see, you know, why was I either within or why was I over budget? So, and you do the same with labor costs. So if I'm utilizing convenience foods, I should be able to see the offset in my labor cost, all right? Um, my my uh, labor should be down and my food cost may be up. If I don't that week, then I have a real problem and I have to do a root cause analysis before it gets to the end of the month and I have no time to correct it. So a lot of this can be done on the computer. There's a lot of great systems. I know at one time Martins was working on one, and I've not used yours, but maybe oh, Mary. The five Ys. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, but you know, I think it's it's easy. You know, most people understand the checkbook method, so it gives you a good idea, and and then you have an idea also what your weekly spend is. So if you see those invoices coming in at a lot more money than is usually your what you've been spending in the past. You need to get right on it. The end of the month is too late, all right? Then your administrator is not going to be very happy with you. Mary, is there anything that we could do as a partner at Martin Brothers to help with a budget system as well? Yeah, again, like we've been saying, um, just having that menu in a menu system, I can't stress enough how, how much that's going to help you 
as a budgeting tool. Um, having your menu in the system allows you to pull financial reports, such as the menu cost at a glance report, which will tell you the food cost of each item on your menu for each portion, along with your meal cost total and your day cost total and your average cost to feed a resident for the whole menu cycle. So having your, your menu in a system um, is a great way to be able to pull financial reports and look at them. Um, the program is gonna allow you to drill into recipes and look at each ingredient and see which ingredient what each ingredient contributes for cost to feeding a resident. Um, you may be switching out protein items um, because of supply chain issues or other issues. Uh, what does that do to the cost of your menu when you switch one protein item for another protein item? Or you may, you may choose to take ingredients out of recipes if, if they're not needed and are contributing extra costs. So having, having your menu and your recipes in a system where you can manipulate and see impact on food costs is really helpful. Um, it's also interesting to look at building a menu, as we were talking earlier, you know, a menu with mostly scratch recipes versus the menu with convenience items, convenience recipes. So being able to pull a report that just totals your cost, not just knowing the cost of the case of the, the lasagna, but being able to um, pull those costs at a glance for the whole meal or the whole day or the average for the whole menu cycle. So having, having your menu in a system will help you generate those reports. It'll help you generate grocery lists um, based on your census and even a smart order can be generated um, based on your census and your grocery list. So again, a smart order, if, if the person who normally orders the food is gone and there's a new person placing the food order, the administrator, uh, it's really easy now with all these tools to just generate what the expected order should be and then that can be manipulated from there. A lot of managers are burnt out, caught up in the moment, and it's hard to see that systems need to be put in place and things need to be prioritized. And let's be honest, uh, it can be exhausting even thinking about the work you will need to put in to implement a new system. You ladies have any advice on how to clean your head, take a deep breath, and move forward to get things done? Well, I keep a running list of projects and system changes that I, I want to make. And I prioritize them by A, B, and C. How innovative is that? Right? <laughs> not, not innovative at all. But, you know, my A ones are those things that really need to get done sooner than later. Um, and I, I tell myself that, okay, I truly have to prioritize this because my A list should not be more than three, right? And really two is better because... If you have more than three, it just becomes overwhelming and you can't concentrate on the job at hand. That's just, mm -hmm. and that's me, but, you know, and most everybody knows that knows me. I'm, I'm a triple A type personality, you know, <laughs> I'm not the type A, but, you know, I try to keep that list to two. And then the B's are those things that they need to get done. And the C's are those that need to get done but could wait they're not pressing they're things i kind of it's it's kind of like the difference between a need and a want mm -hmm. okay yes. i want to get those done but i really don't need to get those done right now so it's like if you're thinking about going shopping you know <laughs> do do i need that new blouse or do i just want that new blouse because i'm stressed out and i want to spend money yeah and maybe <laughs> i've got that 25 dollars in my checkbook <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 
So I, I try to take one of those A projects, um, and like I said, occasionally two, and I, I break them then down into pieces. And then those pieces I put a time frame on, okay? And I have goals. And then when I finish, sometimes I even celebrate just when I finish one of the pieces. You know, I celebrate myself. Maybe I go have a nice glass of wine. Uh, maybe I do buy that new blouse. <laughs> but, you know, I try to wait for that new blouse until I finish the project altogether. But I, I'm, I'm joking. But what you need to do is when you finish that project or change a system, you know, you need to celebrate. You need to celebrate for you, but you need to celebrate with the team. All right? Go over what's what you're changing and celebrate with the team, especially if you've asked a team to, to help you. The other thing that I, I think is, you know, we get caught up so much as managers and we don't think we have time. But I want to talk to you about writing thank you notes. And all of us think that we don't have time. You have no idea how important a written note sent to their house makes all the difference in the world. And especially notes to non-dietary team members. You'll be so surprised at what you get back in return. I was just telling Mary and Erica, I had a, a nurse that we're trying to get to come back. Um, she quit under some real stressful times and she's a good nurse. And so I wanted to get her back. So I called her and I didn't think she'd re remember who I was because it's been um, a couple of years. She's in our system, but you know, as a systems officer, I don't get to see everybody all the time, but she had actually worked um, in a facility where I was the acting uh, executive director. So when I called her, I said, I don't think you'll probably remember me, but. And when I got to the but, she didn't even let me finish. She said, I remember you. She said, you wrote me a thank you note. Now, I haven't been in this facility full time for uh, about three and a half, four years. And, I, and she just floored me when she said, you wrote me this thank you note, and it's on my refrigerator. And I'm thinking... It's been all this time, and that thank you note is on her refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So I said to her, I only write a couple a week, and sometimes I don't write any because I really want somebody to have gone above and beyond. And in this day and age, I write a lot <laughs> because a lot of our staff is going above and beyond. And yes, it's not my favorite thing to do, but when you talk to people about, um, about what happens with those thank you notes or when they tell you four years later or when they tell you that, uh, you know, as a, uh, when I'm teaching and training admins and, and, and I had written an admin a note uh, when he was in a different position and his mother saw it on the, his refrigerator and brought it up and said, your, your boss took the time to thank you. You know, those are, you can't put a price tag on those things. So those are things that keep employees on their darkest day still employed at your facility. And that's what's important right now. We can't afford to lose people, 
but we can't also afford to have people that aren't doing their job. So sometimes a thank you note to that person that finally did something that you wanted them to do will change that the perspective of that employee just by a thank you note. And you may have worked and worked and worked to get an attitude changed, and that thank you note was the trick. Hmm. Really somber good note. Yeah, too. the power of gratitude. It's, oh, it's yes. a neat story. Oh my God. Yes, Absolutely. the power. Yeah, the power of gratitude. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the the word thank you is just not used enough, but it has to be sincere. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't just throw out thank you notes. Willy-nilly. Yeah, willy-nilly. It has to be, and, and they have to be individualized. Mm -hmm. What did you do? What what was that person? What what made that person? And I wrote one not very long ago was the person said something back to me that was so positive about, and it just made me think this was, you know, this was a, a CNA that said something to me that just impacted me so much that I really felt I had to thank her mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. because it's been tough times. It's yeah. tough times mm -hmm. for everyone. It's it's not just tough times for the the maintenance guy or the cleaning lady or the the dishwasher. It is tough times for everyone yeah. in the facility right now. Mm -hmm. And it's tough times for our our, our residents. Mm -hmm. And we forget yeah. that. We forget that it's not the facility that pays us. It's the residents within that facility. So when our staff calls in, all <laughs> right, or when they take advantage of their job or their position, they're taking advantage of the residents. And that, that's what we have to think about. You know, and, and that's what I tell people when they call in sick and when, you know, don't, uh, you know, and they come back in the next day and they're complaining about something. And you have to remind them that um, you didn't leave the staff short. You left the residents' mm -hmm. care to be done lots quicker than it probably should be done. Thank you both for joining us. Everyone has a lot going on, and senior living continues to add challenges faster than we can keep up with. So thank you again for your time. And thank you to everyone listening for your time as well. We look forward to having you join us again because we all know that the time invested in self-development not only increases the trajectory of your success, but the success of those you lead as well. Have a great day. Bye.